Do you or someone you know struggle through life with anxiety-related mental disorders? Ever get that feeling that you are one of the few? I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. Take a journey with me as I talk about key points in my past and how they may have led to me being diagnosed with anxiety and panic disorder. After which we will talk about different ways to tone down the anxiety and maybe even beat it together on anxiety. The easiest way to remember the name is by thinking about how one searches for a state of zen in the midst of the anxieties of life. My name is Gerald, and I'm the host of Anxiety. The world is a confusing, stressful, and often frightening place. And we each have our own unique coping mechanisms that help us get by. Some people will tell you that when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. No, that's terrible advice. Just randomly getting free fruit is extremely suspicious. Haven't you heard of Snow White? That's actually uh, a really good point. It's usually not a great idea to consume anything if you're not totally sure what's in it. If you're the type of person who copes with discomfort by making strange jokes and who enjoys losing yourself in a creepy and sometimes bloody mystery, Please join us for our dark comedy podcast, Studying Scarlet. We alternate weekly between true crime and fictional crime, and we even take listener requests for episode topics. So if you too have a morbid sense of humor, we'd love to welcome you into our weird, quirky, and sometimes disturbing world. Studying Scarlet is available on your favorite podcast app, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We can't wait to meet you. Please subscribe today. MacGyver, SG-1 Chapter 11 One Touch Daniel Jackson fidgeted in his seat and adjusted his seatbelt as he tried to wrap his head around why he was in Cleves Mills, a quiet out-of-the-way town in Maine of all places. Next to him, in the driver's seat, Jack could sense his friend's eyes on him. What? Uh, tell me again where we're going? Jack took a breath and tried to find the words that seemed the least crazy. We're going to go see a guy who might be able to help us find Mac. 
Daniel couldn't help but state the obvious. Mac, as in your brother who is somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. That Mac. Yes, Daniel. That Mac. This guy's worked with the military before. And we'll have him sign all the paperwork before we tell him only what we need to tell him. If anything. Daniel looked down at his paperwork on his lap and took a moment before continuing. And he's a psychic. Yeah. Uh, you don't believe in psychics. I don't believe in traveling to other planets and system lords either. Yeah. Good point. Jack turned the wheel and rounded the corner per the GPS's instructions. He admired the sense of peace this town cast over him. He may have to come back when things aren't so stressful. A bunch of years ago, when you were... dead... Nearty experimented on Jonas and gave him some abilities. One of them was being able to see stuff before it happened. Oh, maybe the guy we're going to go see has the same thing. Daniel consulted his notes again. His... dead zone. Jack shrugged. Whatever. Daniel remembered Nearty. She was a ghoul who didn't play by the rules and used prisoners to experiment on. It was her hope of unlocking abilities for a superior host body. Uh, I don't think this is the same thing, Jack. From what I understand, this Smith guy had his abilities unlocked from a head injury. Well, it doesn't really matter to me. Sean said he's legitimate, plus... If I didn't go, Cindy was going to. After a few minutes, they arrived at the address and were stunned as they pulled over to the curb. Towering over them was what could only be described as a cream-colored, Victorian-style mansion. Most rooms had giant bay windows, and the woodwork that trimmed the outer decor was beautifully carved in detail. The array of various tall trees and hedges that surrounded the property only added to the postcard-like landscape. Both men kept their eyes on it as they climbed from the car. Guess palm reading pays pretty well, huh? Jack snarked as he zipped up his brown leather jacket up to the halfway point when a cool breeze chilled him. He decided to wear his casual clothes of tan cargo pants, blue t-shirt, and jacket instead of the Air Force dress blues for this meeting. On one hand, he wanted to appear more approachable, and on the other, he hated dressing up in that monkey suit. Being non-military, Daniel didn't have to debate his white button-down shirt, gray sports coat, and blue jeans. He let a satchel hang from his shoulder as the two made their way up the long circular driveway that led to the front door. As Jack rang the doorbell and peeked through the window, Daniel turned and asked, Um, Jack, what if he's not home? 
That thought had never crossed the general's mind, and it stunned him. However, before he could respond, the giant wooden door clicked and pulled open. A medium-built, blonde-haired man greeted them. He was apparently ready for the cool Maine weather by the navy blue pullover that covered his white t-shirt. Daniel noticed it was the first pair of corduroy pants he'd seen in a long time. That and the black loafers gave the impression of a professor. Can I help you? Jenny Smith? Jack asked and waited for confirmation before continuing. As Mr. Smith nodded, Jack reached into his inside pocket of his jacket and flashed his ID. General Jack O'Neill, this is Dr. Daniel Jackson. Daniel stepped forward. Sorry to disturb you, but uh, we need your help. The blonde man's head was already shaking before Daniel could finish his sentence as he started to back out of the doorway. Uh, no thanks, fellas. Not today. Not interested. Bye-bye now. Jack's face got flushed with anger. He hadn't traveled all this way to have a door slammed in his face. Too much was at stake. Hey! Wait a minute. He snapped as he slammed his hand against the door to stop it. As his hand made contact, however, Johnny Smith's reality was snapped to another time and another place. He was suddenly in the middle of a battle in a forest with soldiers and men in gray armor. The one standing in the middle appeared to be their leader by the gold on his battle armor. Big men with metal staffs that shot blasts of firepower. Firepower that destroyed rocks and trees it hit. Smith recognized two of the men in the battle as younger versions of the two that were at his door today. Suddenly, though, everything went wrong. He watched helpless as Jack took a blast to the back from the gold leader. The woman soldier was next, catching a blast directly in the stomach after revealing her position. Last was Daniel, who mistakenly rose from the boulder that provided him cover. He was dead before his body fell. They all were. He was sure of it. Suddenly, he was under a dark structure made of sticks and straw. Each of the three soldiers were waking up. Confused, but alive. Wasn't I just killed? The holes in the uniform were still killed present, but they were alive. No, we saw it happen. Same thing happened to us. Smith's reality was suddenly snapped back to the present, and his body jerked with the shock of what just happened. From Jack and Daniel's perspective, no time had passed. All they could see was the jolt in Johnny's body and the confused look in his eyes that followed. Jack glanced back at Daniel to make sure he saw it, too. You all right? Johnny stared back and nodded, too confused to talk. He had to know more. He allowed the door to sway open and gestured for the two to enter. Come on in. As the two members of SG-1 stepped inside, 
They took in the extravagant woodwork that made up the stairs in front of them and the floor. Everything looked like it was designed by a movie star from the 1940s. Beautiful area rugs and antique lamps gave the impression of being in a museum where you can look, but you shouldn't touch. Jack put his ID back in his pocket as he tried to start again. So, you did an interview with my nephew a few years ago, and he said your gift was the real thing, so I looked you up. You've worked with the military before. They vouch for you, too. Smith, who had been using a cane to balance himself as he walked, sat on the couch after he led them to the sitting room at the end of the large entrance corridor. He gestured for them to sit across from him. Let me guess. You're skeptical. Uh, well, let's just say I'm more desperate than skeptical at the moment. Why? What happened? Uh, you first. You saw something, didn't you? Yeah, but... I don't know what it means. Daniel and Jack exchanged a glance. Daniel leaned forward, intrigued to hear more. What did you see? You two, dying in the woods. You were hit by powerful blasts. You and a woman were killed and then... And then you woke up. You were as confused as I am. Jack and Daniel knew exactly what he was talking about. It was their first year together as a team, and they mistakenly attacked the system Lord Apophis and his men, but didn't count on his personal force field. Smith was right. They were killed, as far as they knew. It was only through the grace of the aliens on that planet called the Nox that they were restored. They never understood the science of how but they were eternally grateful. Their look to each other conveyed a silent agreement of what was coming next. Daniel reached into his satchel and pulled out a document and placed it on the table. Jack started to explain what was needed. Uh, before we go on, I need you to... Sign this because it's a matter of national security and I can never share what you're about to tell me. I've done this before, remember? Jack smirked as he handed him a pen to sign with. As soon as his fingers touched the other end of the pen, however, the psychic was again transported. This time to a room with a man at a home computer and Jack O'Neill pointing an automatic handgun at... Ex-Vice President Kinsey? And what are you going to do? Well, I was thinking about shooting you. As soon as it started, Smith was jolted back to the present. Jack. What did you see? The general was getting used to reading the signs. 
Johnny kept his head down as he signed the document in numerous places. Oh, you holding a gun on Vice President Kinsey? Jack relaxed and leaned back in his seat. Ah, good times. The two waited for Smith to finish signing before starting. Jack glanced over the paperwork as Daniel began. Well, we're part of a top-secret team that works out of Cheyenne Mountain with an ancient device known as the Stargate. Over the next 30 minutes, the archaeologists went into great detail about the history and purpose of the Stargate program, and why secrecy was of utmost importance. This is one of the reasons Jack brought Daniel along and left Carter in Colorado to look over the SGC. Not only was he the one to originally figure out the symbols that made the gate work, but he loved to talk about its history. As things wound down, Johnny sat quiet, trying to come to terms with what had to be the biggest secret he would ever know. Setting aside all that he had previously read, Jack decided to ask him his own questions. So... Mr. Smith, Johnny, he was quick to correct. Okay, Johnny, you can call us Jack and Daniel. Uh, can you explain how your gift works? I thought you read my file. I'd rather hear it from you. Smith leaned back and considered where to begin. Well, years ago I was in an accident that left me in a coma for six years. When I woke up, I could see things. With a touch, I get flashes of things that did happen or things that could happen. I get put right in the middle of it. It's really more of a curse than a gift. Daniel was fascinated. So how do you pick what you're going to see? I don't. If I touch a person or something they've touched, it can happen randomly. It's like the universe wants me to see certain things. If it's something bad that I can prevent, I do my best to try and change it for the better. And it hasn't always been easy. Is that Cain because of the accident? He glanced at it before responding. It was initially. Then I outgrew it. A few years back, though, I got shot and it sent me back a bit. Jack chimed in. Was that from the incident with Stilson? Smith nodded as Daniel looked for clarification. The guy who was vice president after Kinsey? Yeah. I met him a few years ago and got a vision of the world ending a nuclear holocaust if he got elected president. It almost happened, too. A look of clarity formed on Daniel's face as it all clicked. Oh, I remember that now. He lost the election because of footage found of him holding a gun to a kid's head, right? Yeah, that was my son, JJ. Stilson shot me as I got him away from him. 
Sorry to hear that. It's okay. A little nerve damage is worth it to save my boy. <laughs> and the world. Jack looked around. He around? No, he's in college now, and my wife took our daughter into town for new shoes. They should be back in a bit. He let a moment pass to see if one of them would get to the heart of the matter. Jack was still thinking of his words. Nuclear Holocaust. Uh, you guys came all this way for a particular reason, I'm guessing. Jack's attention jumped back towards his initial reason for coming all this way. Yeah, um... My brother is somewhere out there. His hands gestured toward the sky. We have no way of telling where he is. We've sent teams, including our own, to find him, but haven't had any luck. We're hoping you can help us. A look of unease rose on Smith's face as he looked for the right words. Well, I'd love to help, but like I said, I, I don't control it. I can't make any promises. Jack nodded in support. Yeah, but I don't know what else to do. The president won't let me keep sending people through the gate to look for him, so... Let's try, huh? Johnny glanced between the two. Well, if it helps, I could touch something that belonged to him. Jack reached into his pants pocket and placed a red Swiss army knife on the coffee table between them. Will this do? He gave it to me a few years ago. As Johnny reached for it, his hand shook with psychic energy. Once he made contact with the knife, he was suddenly finding himself in what felt like a basement. There were no windows and basic plain shelves for storing boxes of documents. Opposite from the only door out was a giant steel door to a safe. There were a bunch of men being locked into the room by soldiers in dark uniforms and pointing Uzis. Left in the room with the men was a bomb with the timer counting down to less than a minute. Out of the group, Johnny noticed one man, looking identical to General O'Neill. He immediately stepped forward and took charge. With a quick look at the bomb and the sealed safe, his attention turned to the speaker system next to the now-chained door. With the hard Yankee pulled the wires from it off the wall to reach the safe across the room. He then grabbed a nearby phone receiver and connected it to the speaker to amplify the sound. Johnny had no idea what he was doing, but he could see the countdown closing on the last 20 seconds. He watched as the familiar man held the receiver to the metal door and listened as he turned the dial and heard the tumblers fall into place. Once he unlocked it, he pulled the giant metal door open, threw the bomb in and quickly pushed to close the safe completely just as time ran out. As the bomb went off inside, the psychic was jolted back to the present. Whoa, whoa. 
Jack grabbed his shoulder to brace him. Only a second passed from he and Daniel's point of view, but he could tell Smith was shaken. Anything useful? Johnny shook his head. No, just a vision of you going by another name and making something to get a safe open. There, were, there was a bomb. Giving Jack a sideway glance, Daniel interrupted. Uh, yet that wasn't Jack. I think you saw MacGyver. Smith's head popped up. Yeah, that's what the guy called him. You're a twin? He asked O'Neill. Yep. He really had to ask his brother about more of his adventures once he was home. So, what happens if you try again? Johnny braced himself and reached for the knife again. Let's see. As he picked the knife up, again he was jolted to another place that felt underground. It was like a dungeon or a cave. There were computer panels set up around a man-made ravine of water, with boiling balls of fire coming from it. He stood between a man trapped in a suspended cage and a scarred madman in a cape attacking MacGyver. It was one of those situations where Smith felt helpless as Mac was punched and kicked to the ground. His wounded body ending up against a control panel next to the boiling pool of water. His attacker was getting the better of the troubleshooter and just missed clubbing him with the metal pipe, bashing the power cable instead. Just as he was coming in for the final death blow, MacGyver swiped the busted cable line and electrocuted him at the ankle until he fell back into the bubbling pool beside him. With a flash of light, Johnny was back in the present. The first thing he could see was the desperate look in Jack's eyes as he stared back at him. He knew what he was going to ask and could only bow his head and shake a response of no. Both Daniel and Jack sat back in their chairs, defeated. Johnny searched for the right words to say. All he could think to say was, I'm so sorry. Jack's voice caught in his throat as Daniel placed a hand on his shoulder. It was over. He had nowhere else to turn. He wouldn't be allowed to send teams through the gate to look for his brother anymore. He could only hope someone finds him by accident when off-world. He nodded in understanding and pushed himself off his seat to leave. I, uh... I appreciate you trying, the general quietly said as he and Daniel started towards the front door. Johnny could only follow behind as he tried to say something encouraging. 
Well, if there's anything you want to leave behind, I can keep trying. Daniel spoke up. If it's okay, maybe we can mail some stuff? Smith nodded in agreement. All Jack can do is try and think of what he was going to tell Mac's wife and kids. He had let them down. He felt so... helpless. Jack opened the door and noticed it was dusk already. Both he and Daniel turned back once more as Daniel reached to shake the psychic's hand. Thank you. We'll be in touch. With a jolt from contact, Smith found himself standing alongside Jack, Daniel, and the two others he recognized from a previous vision. They were standing about 50 feet away from a giant metal ring he guessed was the Stargate. They were gathered around a large dialing device with strange markings on it. They seemed to match what was on the ring. A moment passed as the team quietly looked around. Suddenly, the ring sprung to life and the symbols started to light up. Back in the present, Johnny yelled out, Get me something to write with! as he held tight to Daniel's hand. Jack quickly whipped open the saddlebag slung over his friend's shoulder and took out a pad and pen. He placed the pen in Smith's hand and braced the writing pad in front of him. He could see the psychic's reality was someplace else. In the vision, Johnny watched as each symbol on the device lit up one after the other. One. Two. As each one arrived, he moved his hand in a pattern he saw. Three. Four. Daniel watched as the ancient symbols were drawn in front of him. Jack could only watch his expression to know if it was working. As the seventh symbol appeared in the vision, the wormhole connected and a funnel of gelled water burst forward. After a moment of watching a still event horizon, a lone figure burst forth. With a flash, the vision ended. Johnny jolted back and looked down to see what he had written. Jack and Daniel looked at the symbols on the pad before looking to Smith. Someone came through to this address. Shocked, the two SG members looked to one another. We gotta move. Jack barked as he headed down the driveway towards the car. Daniel nodded and started to follow before O'Neill stopped and turned back to address Smith. When this pays off, you gotta come see what we do at Cheyenne Mount. Thank you. Johnny smirked. Anytime. Good luck. He and Daniel exchanged a wave before closing the door. He had to take in what he had just learned. Out of all the adventures his gift had led him on through the years... None could prepare him for what that team was about to encounter. The MacGyver SG-1 audio series is part of the Forever Adventure Network and is written, performed, and edited by Mac Jackson. Theme song by Brian Brzezowski. 
Logo art by Nathan Shell and Jared Brown. Donations can be made through Patreon to Mac Jackson. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at MacSG1Series. This series is dedicated to Richard Dean Anderson and everyone in the MacGyver and Stargate family. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And as always, thanks for joining the adventure. The Forever Adventure Network. Welcome to the adventure. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure.